you guys sound really, really good. We ought to make a CD. Go ahead and be seated. Glad. Maybe not, huh? Glad. I'm glad you're here today. We want to indeed welcome you. Let me add one more thing to what Mark said about the men's chili cook-off, okay? Uh, the uh, Bryant firefighters are going to be our judges, okay? And uh, the guy in our church that's heading that up is Randy Harmon. Is Randy, I saw Rachel, is Randy here today? He's not working? Okay, well, listen, Randy is heading it up, and he can be bought, okay? <laughs> so Randy uh, shaves his head. All firemen do, I think. So when Randy, when you come in tonight and you see Randy, slide him about five bucks, okay? Now, here's the deal. You're not giving him money to try to get to, to vote for you. What you're doing, you're giving him $5 so he won't vote for Rich Cal. Because Rich won last year and never made chili in his life. Was it last year or two years ago? Two years ago, okay. So we don't want Rich to win, okay? So guys, do your best, okay? Well, listen, glad you're here. Let's take our Bible again. And let's go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3, okay? 2 Timothy chapter 3, one last time. And this morning, I want to kind of conclude our series. I started with the, um, the general title of Here I Stand. And my thought behind that, gang, was that it's somewhere in the culture in which we live. You have to make some decisions on what's acceptable to you and what's not acceptable to you. You have to make some decisions, young people especially. You got to make some decisions on what you'll tolerate and what you're not going to tolerate, okay? And so I, I started the idea with Here I Stay. Each week I tried to give you a title to the specific message. Today is How Then Do We Live? In other words, if we know what we're involved with, if we know what the culture is saying, if we know which way the culture is going, then I think there's a final question we ought to ask and attempt to answer. And that is, church, if we know these things, then how do we live, okay? You're a guest. We've been in this chapter for several weeks. We, first of all, talked about the time in which we lived. And we, uh, we looked at it in chapter 3, verse 1. And Paul, writing to Timothy, said it's difficult days. They're uh, actually the word for savage or fierce days. And what Paul tells Timothy is that the last days are days in which, not in the future, but days in which we're living in right now. These are these days. And these days are going to be difficult days and increasingly more difficult. The church, the true church, not false church, but the true church, birthed through the blood of the Lord Jesus, is going to become increasingly more unpopular and increasingly less respected as people run after unsound doctrine that tickles their ears. In fact, in chapter 4, we saw that they will actively seek out ear ticklers during this period of time. There's going to be, gang, be aware of it. There's going to be a movement away from sound doctrine. There's going to be a movement away from solid theology to a feeling-driven, feel-good type environment. 
People are going to seek after feel-good teachers, telling them what they want to hear, not telling them what they need to hear. And while it might be encouraging, and while it might make you feel good to hear what you want to hear, it's not going to change your life. So I think it's incumbent upon the church, me as pastor, Don as pastor, Mark as student pastor, and Gail as our senior adult minister, and Lisa and our kids, that we have good, solid theology, that we have solid doctrine, because you see, easing of guilt, while it's attractive, doesn't really heal. You can't get healed with Band-Aids, gang. The cross of Jesus digs deep into your soul, to the very core of your rebellion against God. And it's only when you come to terms with your sin, it's only when you come to terms with your rebellion against God, that freedom comes, that liberty comes, that peace comes, and ultimately, forgiveness comes. And so we first of all talked about the time in which we live, and we said it's now. We're living in the last days. When does Jesus come? I don't know. But one thing that's interesting, when you read the Bible and you read the writings of the apostles, you know what you find? That they believed that Jesus was coming before they died. In fact, you get the idea from Scripture that they're saying things like, uh, uh, i packing my bags because I think he may be on the way. Behold, he stands at the door. Behold, he's coming quickly. And, and the whole intention of Scriptures is to help us understand that Jesus might come, Jesus could come at any moment because the time in which he comes is the time we're living in right now. And I would suggest here that if we believe that, then we ought to take a good examination, take good stock of our life right now. Are we living the way God would have us live? Are we channeling, are we uh, adjusting our life? in the way that he would have us, because he could come at any moment, okay? Now, the second thing, last week, we talked about the trend of people. We looked at three summary indicators about people. They said We said there would be lovers of self. My goodness, what a description of our time. Lovers of money, lovers of pleasure. I said to you that the age is going to be marked by personal drive. The drive of individualism, the drive of consumerism, and then we defined and talked about the drive of hedonism, which is the drive of pleasure. I, I think in my first, my first message, I mentioned to you that many theologians say to us today that we're living in a narcissistic age. The term narcissism is a, is, is a word which means to define the overabsorption of self and the pursuit of self-gratification. The, the term comes from Greek mythology. Narcissus was a, was a guy who saw his face in a pool of water, became so enraptured with his own face, fell so in love with his own image, that he rejected the spurnings of love from a lady. He sat there and looked at himself and looked at himself 
and became a flower. In Greek mythology, interesting. But that name, that term, came to mean someone so caught up with the image of themselves that they don't give room to anybody else or anything else. Well, beloved, if this is the time in which we live, and if this is the trend that we're living in, then what does the church do? What do we do? Do we retrench? Do we pull away and become isolate? Do we? Do we just want to pull ourselves and pull our kids into a cocoon and not let them venture out, not them live life? Or do we do what John Piper writes, which I like? Do we risk it? Do we engage the world? Does the church become a factor in the culture to share the blessed good news of Jesus Christ? I suggest to you that's exactly what we're supposed to do. And so my hope today, at least as we finish this study, that I might give you some things to chew about as we seek to engage the culture, as we seek to find what we're supposed to do as a church while we live in these last days, okay? We've read the chapter the last four weeks, three or four weeks. I don't want to do that this morning. I'll tell you what I want us to do. I want to, I want to start off by giving you three general comments. And then, and we're going to pick up the scriptures there as we read them. Then I'm going to share some thoughts with you about what the church is to do and why we're to do it. Okay, look at beginning verse 9. Let's start there. Let me give you a, three general comments. This is good news, gang. And in fact, I, I mentioned to you one of the dangers of, of digging out all the nooks and crannies of a chapter like this, that it's easy to become negative because Paul is trying to be very uh, straightforward with Timothy. There's a stark reality in a sense. And so if you're not careful, you can tend to, and I mentioned this last week, kind of may, migrate down to the negative. I don't want to do that. So I want to give you three statements that are, first of all, good news. Number one, evil has its limits. The intensity and the duration of evil has its limits. And beloved, God sees to it. Look at verse 9. But they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, just as Janie's and Jambri's folly was also. The great thing about truth is that truth ultimately always wins, people. Church, the truth always wins, and truth always exposes lies. At some point, liars forget they're lying. And they begin speaking like it's truth. And they have to keep telling more lies that expose their lies. And pretty soon, all of a sudden, this light bulb comes on and say, wait a minute. That doesn't sound right. Something's not right. And evil always is limited by the sovereignty of God. If God is in control of everything, and he is, he's in control of evil and his sovereignty. Everything is under his control. And while we might understand, not understand his conduct, beloved, we can always believe in and grab hold of his character. God is on the throne. The church not only will survive, the church will thrive until Christ comes. 
And I submit to you, that is good news. Can I chase a rabbit a minute? Say yes, please. Good. Good. That made me feel better because I'm going to do it. That's why church is important. That's why it is important for you to be here on Sundays. That's why it's important for you to be in a small group, growing in the Lord, being connected to other believers in the Lord. That's why the church of Jesus, the bride of Christ, is crucially important to your life. Truth wins. Let me give you secondly good news. The answer to our challenges, whether national or individual, has always been and will always be the sacred writings. Look at verse 15 and 16. From a childhood, you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Beloved, listen, when you build your life around the Bible, not just in word but in deed, then you're going to come out the stronger and the better the person. You see, in fact, in Sunday school, aren't we learning that wisdom is not knowledge? It's not just understanding knowledge. Wisdom is taking knowledge and understanding and then applying it to life's details, you see. And the details for wisdom comes from the Scriptures. You stay with the Scriptures. You'll handle anything and everything. When Indian Springs Baptist Church stays with the stuff, from children's ministry to youth ministry to adult ministry, the senior adult measure. When we stay with the stuff, we always come out as victors. You remember that. Statement number three is also good news. While there will always be challenges walking with God in this world, all that are godly, it says here, shall be persecuted. There will always be kindred souls to walk along with you. There'll always be those that you can look at as comrade in arms. Look with me beginning verse, I love verses 10 through 14. He says, you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions and suffering such as that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all the Lord rescued me. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving, being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Paul's life was an open book to this young pastor. His life was an open book to this young preacher. Paul saying that he was, and I believe it's incumbent upon every man of God to be transparent today. That's kind of a good term today, huh? Paul was transparent. Paul was faithful. Paul was legit, not 
faultless, but blameless. And I want you to know, dear people, there's something about the people of God, the genuine people of God, those who are willing to show you their life and be open to their life. There's something important for you in the family of God. That's good news. You see, I need you. And you need me. We need each other. Because as this trend continues against God, it's the people of God that's going to band together and make it in victory. Okay? Now, I want us to go to the text. I want to show you three things that Paul tells Timothy to do. And then I want to close on why he should do it. Okay? Let me just mention to you, these three things deal with the soul of the person. Not the body, not the external. We spend most of our time, we spend most of our money on the external, don't we? Girls, guys, huh? The girls paint up and the guys build up, you know? The fact of the matter is we spend far more money and time and energy on the external, but it's really the internal that's important. The Bible calls that the soul of the person. And the soul is made up of the mind, the will, and the emotion. Who you are is who you really are on the inside, not the outside. Now, for some people like me, that's awfully encouraging because I look in a mirror too. But it's important to understand when Paul's addressing Timothy, he's not talking about how Timothy looks. He's not talking about Timothy's brawn. He's not talking about Timothy's brain. He's talking about the real Timothy, that which is inside the soul. So how are we to live then? Well, look at verse 1. We're to be discerning with our mind. Notice, but realize this, verse 1, realize this, Timothy. In the last days, difficult times will come. Now, we mentioned this in an earlier lesson. The word realize means to know. But the force of the word in this context is more than the brain. It's using the brain to understand, then applying your knowledge to life applications. It's, it carries the idea of learning to know. It's a knowledge that's gained through experience, life experiences. And it carries the idea of learning by living, by looking. And the first call that Timothy has is that his mind be discerning of what's going on around him. You see, when you use knowledge correctly, you're King Solomon in his early years. When you don't use knowledge correctly, you're King Solomon in his later years. The fact of the matter is, King Solomon was just as smart in his later years as he was at the beginning in the early years. But in our study of Proverbs in Sunday school, what are we learning? Is that he, as he got older, forsook the teachings, went the way of emotions, went his own way, and he ended his life badly. Let me tell you what I think Paul is trying to get us, Timothy and us. Timothy, you got to think. We would say something like, you got to use your noggin. When I was a boy growing up, and I would do some things that I shouldn't do, young guys, and my dad would just be bewildered, you know. 
And I'd come in, and Dad would sit me down, and have this look on his face, and he said, Tom, did you even use your head? Tom, did you even think? Now, guys, that wasn't a question for me. To that was kind of a question that, that didn't need to be answered because it wasn't a question. It was a statement. What he was saying is, Tom, you didn't even think at all, did you? And he was right. Paul tells Timothy, and Paul, through inspiration of Scripture, tells us, use your head. You have to be discerning with your mind. And I believe God will do that and give that to us, okay? Number two, look at verse 5. You have to be deciding with your will. Look at, look at verse 5. Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Notice he said, and this is a command, avoid such men as these. Let me tell you what I think. I think that when a believer is walking with God and the Word of God is the foundation upon which they live, then that Christian ought to be able to discern between that which is genuine and that which is false. I think that's especially true when it comes to people. The word form that he uses there is the word morphous, and it means to be outwardly shaped. It means to have an appearance or a silhouette or an outline shadow. Here's what Paul is saying. That when our lives are tracking along with the Word of God, God will give you the ability to see the difference between that which is the shadow and that which is the substance. That which is false and that which is true. It will be perhaps something like this. You know, I'm not sure what's going on here. But something just does not seem right. And when that happens to you, beloved, you have a decision to make. This is where your will comes into the equation. If it doesn't seem right, Christian, then in all probably it's not right. And you have to decide what you're going to do about it. This is your will. This is the decision part of your soul. And if you keep running back to the pig pen, guess what? You're going to start smelling like pigs. But when you follow biblical principle and God is pouring himself into your life, guess what? Not only will you be discerning of what's going on, you're going to be able to use your will to say, no, I will not. And I'm telling you, gang, I believe the challenge of the culture is going to require our decisions of the will more and more, and we better be discerning of what's going on. Do you realize that religious freedom is being snatched from our hands right in front of our very eyes? Let me tell you what I think. Now, I don't know how long I'm going to live. I'm hoping to live about 250 years more, okay? So I don't know how long I'm going to live. But it would not surprise me if there comes a day that if a church stands against homosexuality, if a church stands against abortion, that we'll lose our tax benefits. I believe there's going to come a day. And listen to me. I'm not against people. Man, they, they need Jesus. I said this a few weeks ago. They need Christ. Okay? But the church has to stand on principle. We've got to stand on the Word of God. And I believe if the trend continues, it's going to get increasingly more challenging for us. We may, you may lose your tax credits, your tax spend. As a church, we may have to start paying taxes. 
And the question is, do we decide to stand on our principles or we decide to give in? And I don't know where you're going to be. I want to tell you where I'm at. And as long as you guys allow me to pastor here, I'll just tell you where Indian Springs is. We're going to, in love, we're going to stand against homosexuality. You know why? Because it's sinful. We're going to stand against abortion. You know why? Because it's sinful. And even though it may get hotter, even though it may get more challenging, we've still got to stand. And that's the decision of the will that we must make. And let me be careful. Let me, let me, I hope this is Holy Spirit, not unholy Tom's about to say something. I know that in any given Sunday morning, we probably have people in our fellowship that are there on that Sunday that may be struggling with sexuality. There may be some ladies and guys in our church that have gone through abortions. I'm not here to shoot a gun at you, but I'm here to say to you that that is wrong and those who haven't gone that route should not go that route. And if you have gone that route, there's grace enough to cover it and forgiveness through the cross is there for you. But oh, dear people, if, we're, if we see the trend away from great good theology, if we see the trend away from solid doctrine, then who's going to stand if we don't, you see? And the standing requires us to make a decision of the will that we will not go that way. Because God commands us in Scripture not to go that way. Okay? And then number three, look at verse 14. We also have to be disciplined with the emotions. And this is challenging. He says, you, however, continue in the things you have learned become convinced of, knowing from who you have learned them. That word continue, when you see it in English, you, you get the sense of, of persistence or, or consistency, but it's more than that. You ought to circle the word. It's a word that, that literally means to be stable, to stay the course, to plot along, to abide. Okay, Let me add to be faithful and, 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 and consistent, I guess. See, it's a word that steps outside of passion or outside of desire or outside of emotion. You just continue what you know because it's the right thing to do. I think it's a, said in contrast to that word impulse in verse 6, which is a word for unbridled desire and lust. Now, believe, beloved, I think one of the challenges that we have as Christians living in this culture is that we get so emotionally charged up in what we see and what we hear and what we feel. I, and listen, I'm preaching to the choir because I do that. We know things aren't right. And if we're not careful, our emotions get all out of whack. The truth is expectations and reality never meet in this life anyway. We should be concerned about the trend. We should be concerned with the culture in which we live. But gang, listen, it behooves us to discipline our emotions, to be stable as we look at life. You know why? 
because we've won. We're not winning. We've won. We won 2,000 years ago when Christ died on the cross. We shouldn't be intimidated. We should not retrench. We ought to stand up for the glory of God because on the cross, Jesus gave us the victory. And while the world may go that direction, God's people ought to stand for His honor and His glory. Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, said, Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. I wanna, I'm going to start wrapping it up. I want to share with you something I read this week. Um, you know, a lot of, I mentioned to you, a lot of theologians believe that this chapter is a chapter that is directed toward leaders. Uh, Paul's telling Timothy that in the last day, there's going to be a departure of leaders. And I kind of agree with that. I was reading this week as I, I was studying one of my favorite authors. Boy, it's hot in here, isn't it? Whew. Are you hot? Yeah, I'm burning up too. Less God springs on the way. Uh, one of my favorite authors and preachers is, is John MacArthur. And as I was trying to put together these concluding words, I, I came across something that John MacArthur wrote. And, and I want to I share with you. We're going to put it up on, on the board. Guidel three guidelines for determining if a preacher and a teacher is from God or if he's false. And, and let me tell you why I want to I take a few moments in our service to do that. Because our young people are going to grow up and they're going to leave Indian Springs Baptist Church. We hope they come back. Their parents hope they don't come back. Their parents want them to get on their own and make their own living, right? But in all probability, these, we've got kids all over the state now. And they're going to leave this church and hopefully they're, going to, hopefully they're going to find a place where they can light and go to church. The fact of the matter is, if you're a visitor today, you, this may not have worked for you. You may have come in and trying to decide about a church and you say, you know, I, this just doesn't feel right for me. We understand that. We you're weird, but we understand that, okay? We do. So you may not come back. You may try to find another church. It may be in the course of time where God begins to stir your heart about going somewhere else. And I understand all that. I've been in this long enough that that happens. But if our kids are going to leave the fold, if you as a guest are not going to come back, and you're going to sit under somebody else's teaching, how do you know whether he's worthy to sit under? How do you know whether he's worthy for you to invest 30 to 40 minutes of your life toward? And, and I just think John MacArthur does a great job. In fact, kids, it wouldn't be bad for you to write this down. Not all at once, okay? Number one, when you're trying to determine if a guy's a man of God, what is his creed? What does he talk about? What are the ideas that motivate his life? Is it the whole of Scripture? Is that the basis of his life? Or is it some kind of uh, one little verse that he selectively picks out so that he can get on with his agenda? You know what I'm amazed about today, people? I'm amazed that in a lot of churches and a lot of times you get with people, they'll have a Bible, but they never open the Bible. Or they may take the Bible, they may read a verse, and then they close the Bible and spend the next 30 minutes on some kind of an agenda. What is the creed of the guy? 
Does he actually believe that the Word of God is the inerrant, infallible Word of God? It's the only rule of faith and practice in the life of a believer. What I'm saying to you, if this doesn't work for you, or if your life changes at some point and you choose to go somewhere else, look and see if he opens the Bible. Because all we have is the Bible. What's his creed? Number two, what's his character? Is his life an open book? Does what he say reflects how he lives? Let me tell you something, gang. Doctrine doesn't exist in a vacuum. If a person's orthodoxy doesn't line up with his orthopraxy, in other words, what he believes and what he practices, if it doesn't line up, get away from them. Because you can't afford in these last days to sit under someone who's not real and someone who's not genuine and someone who doesn't take and share the Word of God, hopefully with the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God, to challenge your heart and to speak truth into your life. What's his creed? What's his character? Number three, who are his converts? Who are the guys that he follows? I think you have the right to come into my office in Don's office, in any of the staff's office, at any time, and look us in the eye and say, I want to know what you're reading. I want to know who you're reading. I want to know who are the people you're following. Who are his converts? Who's following him? You see. Creed, character, converts. I think in this day is crucially important. And I think, of course, the bottom line is who gets the glory. When you walk away, who do you have a sense is going to get the glory? That guy or God? No? Well, let me wrap it up. What time is it? Whoa, cool. Let's look at the last verse, okay? We've spent four weeks of our lives going through a chapter talking as best I could about what's going on and what's about to go on. And, and I think it would be well for us to close with this question. Why? Why should Timothy follow Paul's teaching? Why should he realize? Why should he continue? Why should he do Why should we do all these things? Look at verse 17. The word so, word so that, that's purpose. So here's the purpose. That the man of God may be adequate, number two, equipped for every good work. The word adequate is a word which really means to be fresh. And, of course, the word equipped means to be fitted properly. So if you're going to follow somebody... Follow those that God has made fresh and equipped, fitted properly for the good work. Let me tell you a story, and then, I, then, I, then I'll be through. I, I was talking to a, a young preacher boy, a friend of mine, and uh, he's an incredible young man, a very intelligent young man. And he called me the other day, and he said, Tom, I don't know what's going on. It's not working. And I said, uh, well, what do you mean it's not working? He said, my church is falling apart. 
and I don't know what to do. And I know the young man is uh, an intense young man. He's incredibly intelligent, and he's a good man, okay? So I began to ask him some questions. And I said to him, I called him out by name, and I said, listen, when you stand before your people, what do you think they see? Who do you think they really see? Do they see a guy that's willing to deal with the tough passages and share the tough passages? Do they see a guy that even while he deals with the tough passages, there's some kind of a hope, a spark, a light within him? What Paul was telling Timothy is, Timothy, yes, it's tough, probably going to get a little worse. But Timothy, when you pastor Ephesus, Timothy, you got to show the people you're fresh, that you believe it, and that you believe that God wins, that truth always wins in the end. Do they see that in your life? I asked him. Dear people, I I tell you, these passages like this cause us preacher to look at ourselves long in in the mirror. Because while I've never shied away, I think, from sharing truth, man, I don't want you to walk out of here with your dopper down thinking, oh, woe is me. We might as well get it over with and get on to glory. Oh, dear people, these words were written so that we might have hope to know the very best thing in the world today is the bride of Christ called the church of Jesus. Jesus died and shed his blood for the church. And if you're a believer in Christ, you're the church. And Jesus died for you. We're the best Maybe we're even the last hope that the world has. The church of Jesus Christ. We must be fresh. And we must be fitted properly to do the work that God's called us to do. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this series has challenged us, not, Lord, tickled us, but touched us in a way that challenges us to be the people of God. Oh, God, don't let us...